Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we're using this episode to pitch our new Oxygen series, My Favorite Worst Nightmare. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. This will scare the crap out of all those women for sure. my notes when i was watching an episode of forensic files because i decided it was time to go back to that oh yeah of course you need to do a rewatch every couple of months well like i i didn't sour on it for a while but i was like ugh, always arresting like you know just listening <laughs> it's to always the husband like i always know who it's gonna be <laughs> well and listening to law enforcement officers from the 90s was <sighs> rough because uh, they were yes. fucking stupid um Trey Gowdy is on that show. God, fuck that guy. <laughs> Ugh. He looks like he was once like a little cowboy doll in a past life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because I hate him. <laughs> um no, I picked my favorite episode and it was the one where uh this guy was killed in a small town. I know that like totally narrows it. Oh yeah, that one. That one. Um, no, the one where he was found with onions in his stomach, so they were like, oh, he had to have been killed after breakfast because he never ate onions for breakfast because he goes to this diner every day. And then they were like, oh, they don't wash the spatula at the diner. Right. I th- I do remember this one. And it's it was so specific. like his weird ex-wife who had been married like 15 times and everyone hated her and was like, dude, she's bad news. And he was like, yeah, but that one. I love that episode. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, anyway, so today, uh, it, it's our last episode before a, a hiatus that we're taking so I don't, uh, physically pass away. I don't know if you guys have heard, but Emily is planning a wedding. Oh, God, it sucks. Um, I mean, no, it's fine. Ah. <laughs> I No, this is exactly where you should be, like, 37 days before your wedding. <laughs> anyway, um, this episode is... Sarah and I have each picked something that scares us uh, existentially or just in general. Mm-hmm. And we're going to existentially, yeah. We're going to tell you about it. And then you will also be afraid of these things, maybe. I mean, if you're not, I would worry about. Yeah, if you were chill with either of these things, like maybe, maybe call someone. Your mom. <laughs> maybe I- talk that through with a professional. <laughs> Uh, so Sarah, you, you are going to go first. I am going first. And before I forget, let's list all my sources. Um, this, where I'm going to list my sources before I say what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to have the listeners guess. It's like a little puzzle. And call in and <laughs> see if they can figure it out before I like start talking about things. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Wikipedia, all that's interesting, the National Air and Space Museum, IFL Science, Vice Magazine, and aerospaceweb.org. Um, Which is certainly a website. It's actually like the best source I found. But so Sarah is afraid of planes. <laughs> um, Sarah is afraid of space, and yeah. I know there are listeners out there, uh, like my friend Liesel, who is also deeply afraid of space. Uh, so Liesel, if you are listening to this episode, skip this part. I was gonna because uh, we're talking about the lost cosmonauts. <laughs> oh God! Because you went through a couple potentially terrifying things i went through a lot of bullshit um i was going to talk about like cave diving and then just like splunking in general and eventually 
and this is going to sound weird, but like I decided I didn't really want to talk about like the terrible, horrible deaths of people. Like that just seemed depressing to me. Um, so instead, I chose people who are lost in space, who are also dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. The caveat is they may or may not be real. <laughs> okay, so that's how you're getting out of that. Yes. Uh, so Emily, you remember the space race, right? Yes, I was alive for it. Actually, um, <laughs> I am. 85 years old. <laughs> what a reveal for the final episode of the season. Yeah, I'm a member of the same race as Aragorn. <laughs> uh, so for all you Gen Z kids uh, who <laughs> apparently don't take history classes, uh, back in the Cold War days, the USA and the USSR were in a race to see who could make it to space first. Hence the name Space Race. Basically, most of the 50s to about the 80s to, to now, yeah. actually, is the US and Russia being just a giant pissing contest. Essentially. Uh, so the Soviets actually won the space race. They got to space first, but then the USA beat them to the moon, which was like way better. And they that proved once and for all that capitalism is truly the perfect economic system. Uh, but I think the Russians had better food in space. And also like vodka. Pencils. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like space, you know, today space is old hat. We blast old... <laughs> janky billionaires into space all the time um but this is like the 50s and 60s and space was dangerous like you have to remember we are maybe one generation removed from the first manned flight we we have barely gotten the hang of planes and now we're shooting rockets into the atmosphere and hoping they don't explode yeah i mean our parents watched (laughs) that very well-directed moon landing on tv (laughs) my dad was a teenager he had a license i'm pretty sure by this time uh so the space race of course was not without its disasters like the united states they did make it to the moon but not before the first apollo mission caught fire on the launch pad and the ussr um a full a whole rocket ignited uh and killed anywhere from 54 to 300 people and we don't know (laughs) the actual number discrepancy (laughs) exactly this is the point. We don't know the actual number because the Soviets were intensely secretive about their space program. We didn't know. They didn't acknowledge this disaster until 1989. Uh, I did find out that a lot of the dogs that got shot into space actually did make it back. Yeah, not the famous one, but Look, some of them. Laika did. She performed a she service. She was a good girl. She was the we best girl. We can't talk about it. <laughs> we can't talk about it because I'll be sad. <laughs> Uh, So by 1960, so very early on, uh, there were already rumors swirling that the Soviets were covering up the deaths of Russian cosmonauts in space, which would later become as the aforementioned, uh, later become known as the aforementioned lost cosmonaut conspiracy. So most of these revolved around the Karabal Sputnik program, which was officially a series of unmanned space flights essentially designed to pave the way for the Soviet Union's Vostok program, which is the one who had eventually launched Yuri Gagarin into space. You know, that the guy. real first man in space. Yes. So Henry Jackson, who is a virulently anti-communist United States senator, made numerous allegations that the Karabal Sputnik program was really just an elaborate cover-up for a series of failed crew missions. So essentially, like, the missions would fail, but Russia would say it doesn't really matter because no one was on them. Uh-huh. So says Henry Jackson. Uh, he wasn't the only one making these claims. Um, on May 15th, 1960, uh, Robert Heinlein, who was the guy who wrote Starship Troopers, of all people. I have the not book, seen not the that. It's, it, I saw it way too young, and it traumatized me a little bit. Oh, God. 
is i thought it's it was like a comedy giant bugs that no it's got like big giant bugs that eat people maybe i just associate it with super troopers because i haven't seen if so it's yeah. not goofballs in space no it's like a it's very hard to explain interesting someone get someone write in and explain what star Tro- starship troopers is to emily um no I'm hold on hold on if you're gonna do this <laughs> i request that you are a woman <laughs> And not a nerd. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, so Robert Heinlein, this guy, he was traveling through Soviet Lithuania when he ran into a couple of Red Army cadets uh, who told him that the Soviet Union had actually launched a human into orbit that day, which is interesting because Yuri Gagarin did not go into space until August. So May 15th was actually the fir- the day, or August of 1961, I think. So this is like a full year for Yuri Gagarin. Um, May 15th was, in fact, the day of the first of the Karabal Sputnik capsules being launched into space. Uh, a mission that Russia continues to maintain was unmanned, and I would really, I really hope so, <laughs> because the capsule experienced a mechanical failure that left it stranded in the Earth's orbit until the fall of 1962. Yeah, that's really worst case scenario for going into space. It's not like blowing up Challenger style, which still ruined bad. Uh, it's like it's the not, gravity shit. It's not being able to come back. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. Yeah, that's that's the part that like, gets me. <laughs> that's when I I trace this back to. I also saw Apollo Eleven when I was too young, and Apollo Eleven was not like a scary movie, but there is like one scene where um, Tom Hanks has a dream that like something wrong goes with the like airlock, and he essentially gets like blown out of the capsule and like just like floats off into space, and like that fucked me up so badly. <laughs> Well, that's always, like, the scariest part of, like, uh, Space Odyssey and Alien and all of those, like, 60s and 70s uh, sci-fi space movies is there's always that point where, like, we don't have enough fuel left. I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh (laughs) You just have to sit there and die. And slowly die. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually worse than, like being blown out of an airlock because at least then you die fairly quickly. Yeah, you like freeze to death or something. scares the hell out of me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, floating off. No, no, thank you. Um, So, yeah. So as if all of this isn't already nightmarish enough, (laughs) uh, like just generally as a concept, buckle up because it's about to get worse. Um, There are recordings, allegedly. Am I going to have to insert these into the episode? Because one of them uh, genuinely like gives me the Wiggins. You don't have to. Um, we can just tell folks, like, go to YouTube. They're all out there. I didn't even li- I listened to, like, one of them, and I was like, nope, the end. Like, part of one. I kind of skimmed through it, and I was like, nope, nope. All done. <laughs> They're out there. You can find them. Google Lost Cosmonauts on YouTube. You'll get 10 million videos. And Your probably one punk band. Overheat and die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this brings us to Achille and Giovanni Giudica Cordelia, uh, who were two brothers living in Italy, if you couldn't tell by the My Bad Italian. That's our new <laughs> so, podcast, Ach- My Bad Italian. <laughs> Achille and Giovanni had become obsessed with ham radios in 1949 uh, when they were 10 and 16. And they spent years buying up and repairing broken radio receivers that were being kind of sold off in bulk as surplus war equipment. So they'd get like a bunch of cheap radios and then just fix them up and talk to people all over the world. It must have been very exciting. Yeah, 50s nerd shit. By 1959, they had moved to Turin, home of famous hoax, the Shroud of Turin. (laughs) It's on the sign when you roll in. Yes. Just like that. Home of famous hoax. 
Uh, they had focused their attention on listening into all of the satellites that were being launched into space by the U.S. and the Soviet Union, but particularly the Soviets, just because like Russia was kind of closer and also generally more mysterious. Like a lot of times, they didn't announce a mission was happening until it was done and over, and they could announce a success rather than you know saying we're going to launch this rocket into space and then you know it blows up on the launch pad and kills 54 to 300 people. <laughs> we don't know how many. We're still picking <laughs> out teeth from the grass. Yeah. So, like, I have to imagine, like, if you get, like, tuned in to, like, a Soviet space program transmission, that's got to be a pretty big rush. Like, that's very cool. Uh, the brothers had set up a listening station they called Tori Burt and equipped it with electronics meant to intercept radio communications. Um, it was, at least according to the brothers, an incredibly sophisticated operation. Uh, they had built NASA-quality tracking displays and claimed to have engineered equipment capable of filtering noise and calculating a craft's orbital path. So how many pairs of khakis and short sleeve button-up shirts do you think these guys owned? <laughs> do they sell those in Italy? Oh, yeah. I don't know what Italian nerds would look like. Suspenders and leather jackets? There's, It's like 1950. There's only like three types of clothes for men. Like you wear a suit, you wear a button-down shirt, you wear, I don't know, a white t-shirt and jeans and you slick your hair back. <laughs> the three types of men. So, <laughs> uh, so then on November 28th, 1960, the brothers claimed to have intercepted a chilling transmission, a Morse code signal from the Soviet spacecraft that appeared to be moving away from Earth's orbit. And the message in Morse code was apparently was SOS to the whole world. <laughs> a great so, album name. An amazing album name, but a horrifying message to get in Morse code. It was going very, very fast, Giovanni later told Vice, and therefore it was moving away from the Earth at escape speed. And so it made us think that rather than bringing the vehicle back to Earth, it was moving away from Earth into space. <laughs> Thanks. I hate it. Why did I choose the subject to talk about? It's... It's got the same vibe as, like, when you're about to ride a big roller coaster and they do that goof where they just drop a giant, like, lug nut in the floor of the thing and, like, oops, I guess we don't need that, and then pick it up and then the ride takes off. That is that a thing? Does yeah. that, I don't ride roller coasters. They don't do it at, like, Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, but, like, if you're at, like, a, uh, I guess I've mo most recently seen it. Um, in like those slingshot things that they set up at like state fairs. Are you are you sure that's a funny joke? I don't think it is, but the teenager running the slingshot sure as fuck does. <laughs> I have never ridden one of those. I've just I've heard tell. I think I, it happened yeah. at like Great America or something back in the nineties when like you could get away with that. That could be a whole other episode that I will never do because again I don't really want to talk about like the horrible deaths. Oh, of, like, oh real no, people, but like roller coaster accidents. Ugh, they don't no happen as often as you'd think they do. No, they don't. But they're really terrible when they do. They're awful when they do. Uh, <laughs> So, back to other things that are unpleasant. Uh, Achille and Giovanni captured a total of nine recordings between 1960 and 1964, all apparently manned Soviet space flights that ended in disaster. Uh, so, this is just like a fun potpourri of the hor horrifying things they've captured. Uh, the first was... I'd hate to know what a Russian space potpourri would smell like. Just the smelt and potatoes. Like I was going to say metal and vodka. <laughs> uh, so one that they recorded in February 1961 supposedly contains the rapid heartbeat of a dying cosmonaut. Rude. Uh, the worst one, which was recorded sometime in May 1961, captured the final transmission of a female cosmonaut as she re-enters the atmosphere. Yep, that's the this one. This is the bad one. 
Yeah. This is the one I listened to, and it's terrible. Uh, she's often dubbed Ludmilla, though there would be no real way to know her name. It's like so. Mary in Russia. It, yeah, it's probably just like a nickname she's been given. Um, she reports that she can see flames and repeatedly cries out, I feel hot, and asks if she's about to crash. And of course, this is all like very like fuzzy Russian. Like you can't actually like make her out, make out what she is saying in English, of course, because she's Russian and she's not speaking English. What if someone just translated it wrong as a joke? <laughs> Wouldn't that be like great if that was just like the whole thing? One, it was a funny prank from like people in the next town over. And two, they translated it terribly wrong. <laughs> and none of this happened in the end. She was actually asking if they packed any Coke. At- <laughs> uh, another captured audio on a flight crewed by two men and a woman pleading with ground control, saying, conditions grow worse. Why don't you answer? We are going slower. The world will never know about us. So, you know, Russia's done some pretty sus shit, um, as, as we know. Uh, but they had women in space way before the U.S., correct? If you believe the lost cosmonaut theory. And actually, yes, in fact, way before. Um, they launched the first woman into space, and like this came up as I was researching. That makes it sound like they just strapped her into a lawn chair and like, <laughs> lit a rocket. I mean, you make the joke, but that was essentially what they were doing in the 1960s. Uh, first woman in space. Yes, it was Valentina Tereshkova, uh, and she went into space on June 16th, 1963. And just just for fun comparison, uh, first American woman in space, Sally Ride, uh, 1983. Yeah, US, get your fucking shit together. It took us 20 years to catch up. So that's just a fun trivia you can use to hate on America. Have you heard George Lucas's reasoning for why Princess Leia didn't wear a bra? Because bras don't work in space? I've, I've heard yes. this before. He, it was some bullshit about gravity, and, like, it would strangle her, and Carrie Fisher was like, really, George? Does does George Lucas know how bras work? I don't think George Lucas has ever spoken to a woman before, despite being married for the last 30 years, because have you heard the dialogue <laughs> in the prequels? I have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, throughout all, all, throughout all of this terrible stuff that the... Uh, the brothers captured the USSR made only one announcement of a manned mission, and that was Yuri Gagarin's su- successful first man in space orbit on April 12th, 1961. To be fair, I also so, don't tell people when I'm trying something and fuck it up. I generally only tell them when I've done it correctly. It's not a bad way to live your life. I'm not necessarily against Russia doing this. I mean, if people are dying, then like maybe be like, hey, we tried this. <laughs> We've alerted the families, but <laughs> yeah, like transparency is good. Pre-notification. I don't know. Just announce that's, it like 20 minutes before you launch them. Oh, hey, by the way. Yeah. This bitch is going to space. Uh, Let's see what happens. So if we assume the brothers' recordings are genuine and not to give anything away, uh, mm. but that's a pretty big if, uh, this really only leads to one obvious conclusion, and that's throughout the 1960s, the Soviets were secretly launching manned missions into space and then quietly covering them up when they ended in disaster. You know, that actually doesn't sound, like, unreasonable. I, I I mean, I'm sure it is partially a hoax, but, like, it sounds like some shit Russia would do. Yeah, and it's like, I think one of the things I read was, like, essentially, like, the guy who was debunking this whole thing, and we're about to get into the debunking, uh, was like, this is really all Russia's fault, because, like, them being secretive and having the reputation for secrecy, like, allows these rumors to flourish, like... If they didn't want these rumors happening, they could be, you know, try being a little more transparent about how they're spending 
the country's money. They also <laughs> don't give a shit, though, I think. Yeah, they, I, Russia in the 1960s, I doubt it. We're world so, politics experts now. <laughs> we are. Uh, so the good news, as I've said, uh, basically already, is that these are almost certainly fake as hell. Uh, there have been doubts about the legitimacy of these recordings since the 1960s. This isn't something like everyone bought into it. And then later we were like, actually, like people were already debunking it as they were coming out. Here's the thing. We know Soviets covered up accidents within their space program, like the launch pad explosion I mentioned earlier, also the death of a cosmonaut trainee who died when his uh, isolation chamber caught fire, which also don't want to think about that. No. Um, (laughs) But we know these things because under Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet Union adopted this policy of increased openness and transparency known as Glasnost. So... So many former Soviet secrets became known throughout this time that in 1988, schools had to cancel history exams because so much of the truth had come out, their textbooks were essentially useless. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. There's, yeah. Well, post-Soviet Union Russia. Oh, boy. Just Russia. <laughs> yeah. Throughout all of that and in the years since, nothing has been found to corroborate any of the Tory Burt recordings. Like, no records official or otherwise, no eyewitness testimony from, like, space program engineers or, like, journals or, like, family members coming forward to say, like, hey, my husband was supposed to go into space and then I never saw him again. Like, things like that. Like, we we hear from the families of the victims of the, the Netherlands disaster, that big launch pad explosion. Like, we have stuff to back this up. Someone would have said um, something. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, there are some very real doubts that the brothers really had the technolo- technological capability to actually ca- actually capture these kinds of transmissions. That's fair. Or even that, like, the radio frequencies they tuned into were really used, but, like, used by the Soviet Union in the way they suggested. I'm not going to get into all this because it's super technical and my brain would melt, but, like, feel free to Google if that's your thing. There are some very good, like, technical takedowns of why... They were probably bunk. Just YouTube videos uh, of like top 10 reasons. And then it's just some guy in a button up t-shirt and khakis. <laughs> Those button up t-shirt and khaki guys are all I don't know why I said story. t-shirt. That's a weird button up shirt. I may have said t-shirt instead. I said t-shirt definitely. And then I was like, well, we're just not going to say it again. And then, then I repeated you. We all know what you mean. <laughs> There are other little details, um, such as, like, none of the cosmonauts and the recordings follow standard Soviet communication protocols, which would be weird because they're all, like, former fighter pilots. Um, And also their Russian is riddled with grammatical errors. (laughs) So that's not great. Uh, It should be noted that the Judica Cordiglio brothers, they did not speak Russian and, in fact, had to ask their sister to learn Russian in order to translate what they had recorded. Interesting. Uh, So that's possible. It's it, it would make sense to me that they um, had badly translated these. Um, and so remember that one story about like the three person crew was supposedly abandoned in space. Like just at the time, the Soviets simply weren't building capsules big enough to hold more than one person. Oh, yeah, that's like, a big everything. Flaw. <laughs> yeah, everything we know they shot up into space are like built for one person. And it's it would be weird to think. I don't know. God, the buddy system would be really yeah. beneficial in that case. I mean, I know you like you have to fit, you know, all the food and stuff for people in the, in the thing, but like maybe just send two people up just in case of aliens just to like have some company, it, it, just in case aliens. So uh, that is all to say it it's fake. 
fact. But uh, like, even just as an urban legend, it is still deeply upsetting. And my takeaway from this, if you want to have a takeaway, is that stories don't need to be true to be scary. I mean, that's kind of the Sarah, there's an entire film industry built (laughs) on that. But people don't like to apply that to stories like this. Like, you think there's really a a little girl that lives in a well? (laughs) I am positive. No. Yeah, actually, I don't know what's going on in, like, the Ozarks and shit. Actually, that doesn't even have to be, like, a backwoods person thing. It could be happening in Michigan. I don't know. It's still scary. That's my favorite worst nightmare, Um, which is also an Arctic Monkeys album, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) We did a really good job titling this episode. Look, man, they can't all be winners. It's not gonna (laughs) always be, like, holy shit, I peed my pants, this is so funny. I... Sometimes just, we save we save that energy for the minis. We save that energy for when we have fucking you save Avalon that energy on. for the minis. <laughs> uh, so so my favorite worst nightmare. I'm uh, favorite being used very loosely. I've discussed how this is like a thing of mine before. Oh yeah, this has come up. Yeah, there's a whole episode of Boohaha. I think it's called uh, Oh Chimney Cousin. It's with Avalon. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember this. So my, I'm laughing because I remember what it's referencing. <laughs> God, the Pact is a good movie. So good. I gotta watch that this weekend. Um, that is actually partially what what uh ignited this fear in me. You know, the fictional film. <laughs> uh, that'll that'll do it. That'll get the job done. That and an episode of Spooked. Um, a very specific story that I don't have in my notes, but we'll talk about it in a second. I, I remember this one. Yeah. Terrible. So it will probably come as a shock to most of you, but I am afraid of a lot of things. Um, That's kind of the whole point of this show. However, there aren't a lot of like narratively satisfying stories about being buried alive. Um, And as Sarah said, stories about people getting trapped in caves are more depressing than like scary. Yeah, it's just sad. Which those two things are pretty much the, the same, same vibe. Uh, so that's why we're going to talk about the thing that haunts me. People living in the walls, or more accurately, people living in houses without the residents knowing. No, thanks. Yeah, just like the little collections of Reddit stories. And um, I think the episode of, of Spooked that the story was on is called Ghosty. But this woman was talking about how when she was a little kid, she went to uh, the bathroom to brush her teeth. And there was a man standing in the bathroom. And he was like, my name is Ghosty. If you tell your parents about me, I'll I'll kill you. And then she saw him a few <laughs> more times, and there was just a bitch living in her walls, and she thought it was a ghost. And that's worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. There's also like a story from like I want to say it was one of the Jezebel scary story contests they do around Halloween. There was essentially like a girl moved into like a new apartment, and like whenever she come home, there'd be like dust spread everywhere, and she couldn't figure out what it was, and it was her neighbors essentially like drilling through the wall to enter her apartment when she wasn't there. Oh, absolutely fucking not. Ugh. Yep. Ugh. We're gonna do a couple of short stories that I dug up from the internet, and then a longer one uh, that's more uh, narratively satisfying. (laughs) Um, And all these stories, except the first one, uh, I have backed up with news reports and arrest records. I made sure of it. The first story was just too good not to include. Um... And who knows, it might be true. I actually didn't, like, look into that one that much. So, uh, let us begin. Uh, in 1981, 
Yes. Uh, in 1981, horror author Grady Hendrix claimed that he saw a man in his kitchen late one night eating his family's leftovers and drinking their milk. <sighs> the man was gone by the time his parents got downstairs, and obviously they didn't seem to believe him. Believe your kids, except in a yes. satanic panic way. Believe your kids with <laughs> well, a reason. here's the thing. When your kids tell you something, like... Do, like, the baseline of investigation to make sure that they're not just, just don't assume that they are lying. That's what Believe the Children means. Yes. <laughs> Maybe take them seriously until you have a reason to believe that they are not lying. That's a lot to fit on a t-shirt or, like, a bumper sticker, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so over the next several months, he noticed things out of place, like a napkin holder that was on the wrong spot on the counter, a mug appearing in the sink that hadn't been there the night before, um, and then. On one occasion, he saw a pair of eyes looking at him through an AC vent, which is no, <laughs> Emily. No, I live alone. Whose fault is that? Society's. I don't know. Um, his parents did investigate that one, but no one found anything. Uh, then one day, several months later, the family was plagued by a terrible smell, and at one point, maggots fell out of one of the vents. Oh. A man I think I know where this is going and had I in it. fact been in the house and had died in the crawl space after living there for several months. Oh my god. Emily. Oh, that was fun. Emily. <laughs> I live with a giant man. I'm safe. I hate it. Uh so let's move on to South Carolina in 2012. That's not. A woman named Tracy sensed something was off in her home. And actually uh, what the Huffington Post article said, and I'll sort say my sources after the story, uh, said was, quote, around 2.30 a.m., Tracy felt as if something just ain't right, she told the Charlotte <laughs> Observer. When she heard noises in the attic and saw nails popping out, she thought there was some poltergeist stuff going on. <laughs> I love this. Tracy's woman. the best. <laughs> Uh, so she called in her adult sons and nephew to investigate, and they found a man sleeping in the house's heating unit. There were Don't! F- there were fast food cups filled with human waste, and a mattress uh, that he had managed to get up there uh, had been positioned so that he could see through a vent into Tracy's bedroom. No. The man, uh, who turned out to be Tracy's ex-boyfriend that she had broken up with 12 uh, years prior. That's worse. Uh, had been worse than a stranger. (laughs) Uh, He had been living in the house since his release from prison two weeks prior. Oh my god. He initially managed to escape but was captured later. Look, I understand that we have a housing crisis in this country, but please don't live in other people's houses. Especially your ex-girlfriends. They broke up 12 years ago, like... Oh my god. um, Yeah, like, if you broke up before George W. Bush was in the White House, like... (laughs) Just let it go. Um, my sources are uh, time.com, uh, history.denverlibrary.org, uh, Ranker List, Wikipedia, and Twitter. Cool. Yeah, the first story was from Twitter. Uh, the author posted a, a Twitter thread about it. I love a good spooky Twitter thread. Twitter is garbage, but I love I love that shit. Yeah, I love a good spooky Twitter thread I don't, for sure. I don't even care. Dear David still slaps. Like, <laughs> um, All right. So, uh, moving on. Uh, In 2019, a University of North Carolina student realized her clothes were going missing and at one point found handprints on her bathroom wall. No. Uh, She and her roommates were operating under the completely reasonable assumption that it was a ghost. 
Yes. Until she heard sounds That's coming. I would assume too. Until she heard sounds coming from her closet. Uh, and this is a uh, a quote from an article. Uh, I just heard rattling in my closet. It sounded like a raccoon in my closet. The student told Fox 8. I'm like, who's there? And somebody answers me. He's like, oh, my name is Drew. I open the door and he's in there wearing all of my clothes, my socks, my shoes. And he has a book bag full of my clothes. Drew, what the fuck? <laughs> the thing the thing is, I immediately pictured Andrew Garfield. And I know that's wrong. Because this man is is basically if meth got a hold of Andrew Garfield, but also kind of turned him into, like, a domestic terrorist. Oh, my God. Police identify the man as 30-year-old Andrew Swafford. Um, the girl talked to Swafford as she waited for her boyfriend and the authorities to arrive. Uh, he continued to try in her clothes and commented on how she was, quote, really pretty. Oh, my God. Uh, this Don't also wasn't the first time strangers had gotten inside the apartment. A few months prior, two men were found just chilling in their fucking living room. Oh, my God. Do they not put locks on the doors in these buildings? The leasing Jesus office Christ. claimed to have changed the locks, but hadn't filed a police report. Yeah, I bet. Okay. Are you ready for the main event? No. You've heard the story before. I know, but that doesn't mean I want to hear it again. The Spider-Man of Denver. Also not Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> the story would Thanks be... Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Uh, not Tom Holland either. Unclear as to whether it was Tobey Maguire. <laughs> I just forgot the name of the guy that looks like a fun Tobey Maguire. Kind of like the Ewan McGregor to his uh, Jude Law. Topher Grace? Yes. I love Topher Grace. <laughs> I love Ewan McGregor. Or like uh, um, Patrick Warburton is the fun version of uh, John Hamm. Oh, yep. I can see it. All right. So on October 17th, 1941, we're coming up on uh, some kind of anniversary of it. Um, a retired railroad worker, Philip Peters, was discovered murdered, uh, blunt force trauma, in his Denver, Colorado home by a neighbor. The neighbor found him. The neighbor didn't commit the, the murder. I phrased it weird. Uh, he had been discovered about an hour after he was killed, and when the police were called to investigate, they found no sign that anyone else had been in the home. All of the doors and windows were locked, and there was no other sign of forced entry. They did know a small trapdoor in the ceiling of a closet, but believed a normal-sized person couldn't fit through it. Their first mistake? Yeah, always assume always, a human can fit through it. And always just assume the worst possible scenario, which is that. I, Sarah, I, mm, that is the definition of clinical anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. So, uh, Philip Peters was a married man, but for the five weeks preceding his murder, he had been living alone while his wife, Helen, was in the hospital recovering from a broken hip because they were an older couple. Not that you have to be older to have broken a hip, but I feel like that gives context and it wasn't just like a 24-year-old named Helen with a broken if hip. That does tend to happen more frequently to older people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the couple had lived in, I mean, this will explain it. Uh, the couple had lived in the house for over 30 years and were well-respected loved people in their communities uh so much so that while mrs peters was laid up in the hospital uh their neighbors invited uh phil <laughs> philip um to their homes for meals and company um in his free time he taught guitar and mandolin lessons at the denver guitar club so just an all-around nice man he sounds very sweet so a nice guy with no real reason for anyone to murder him um especially because it didn't appear that anything of value was missing from the house big mystery mm -hmm. one unsolved. 
Uh, his wife eventually came home, now is a widow, and despite the fact that her house is probably haunted as fuck, uh, she decided to just stay there. I mean, go, you go, Helen, I guess. Be independent. Actually, she had a family friend move in with her to help help out and keep her company. Ah, uh, okay. That's when shit got really weird. The weirder. <laughs> weirder than the man mysteriously, did, like, being murdered by a ghost. Yes. Uh, in the month, which is what we are assuming is happen is has happened. Yes, this, this is point. a ghost story. With yeah, um, in the months following Mrs. Peters' return home, she and her friend reported strange things happening around the house. Uh, food went missing, strange sounds, things out of place. I assume some smells. Uh, the friend was convinced that the house was haunted, as would both of us, mm-hmm. uh, and resigned and moved out. <laughs> Just like peace, Helen. I can't. Like, you fucking deal with your this on your own, Helen. You're, I'm um, out. Helen did decide. To, to be fair, I would do that to you too. I would. Yeah. Uh, well, Helen decided to move to Grand Junction to live with uh, her adult son, so she wasn't going to hang out either. Uh, so the house was effectively abandoned. Uh, there were still police reports filed from neighbors. Uh, that included strange sounds and weird smells, but police couldn't figure out what it could be. And also, I didn't know you could file a police report for a weird smell. <laughs> but according to all the articles about this, you can, and they take it seriously. You can when you're a white person in, what is this, the 50s? 40s. 40s? Denver in the 40s. I mean, I wish I could file police reports for weird smells. So finally, the mystery was solved. In July of 1942. Um, just keep in mind that Philip was murdered in October of 41. <laughs> uh, so it was solved once Denver police decided to station two detectives named Roy Bloxham and Bill Jackson outside the house to keep an eye on it since reports were still coming in. They put two officers, detectives, they put detectives on weird smell duty. <laughs> I will say, like, this This really harkens back to a time when police actually did shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were racist as fuck when they were doing it, but <laughs> at least they were pr- trying to prevent crime. Supposedly. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they were doing a stakeout outside this house. Uh, eventually, they saw a man in the house, and they ran inside, but found that the house was empty until they heard a noise above them i was gonna say it's a ghost i guess it could still be a ghost it could still be a ghost. i know how the story ends but i'm you really want it to be a ghost it's better than the alternative ghost. yes oh yeah i forgot about the movie the boy and how that was also that's also a person in the wall story spoilers if you haven't seen the boy at this point i haven't seen what was it brahms revenge or whatever the fuck the new one is called <gasps> That's right. That's what we we were going to do is we we're going to do a commentary on the second boy movie with Avalon. It's just Katie Holmes must have really needed the money. <laughs> all right. So the officers uh, opened all the rooms, looked around, and they finally opened the closet door just in time to spot a pair of legs disappearing into that small trap door that no one thought a person could fit in. Do you think if they hadn't actually seen him trying to scramble through the crawl space? They would have thought it was a ghost. They would have, like, opened up the closet and just said, oh, shit, it is a ghost. Yep. Uh, So they grabbed the legs and pulled the person attached to them from the opening. And uh, both the legs and the man were arrested and taken downtown where they, (laughs) uh, where he uh, confessed to his crime and told his story. This fucking guy. Ugh. So, Theodore Conies was born in Illinois in the 1880s, but came to Denver in the 1910s, where he remained for the rest of his life. Uh, as a child, he had poor health. Uh, he was a very, like, tall 
gaunt, like stretched out man with like the long fingers. And I was gonna say, I picture him as like really just like string mean. Yeah, kind of he, guy. he was. Um, I can picture someone that he looks like in my head, but it's very hard to describe. It's like that pirate with one eye from Pirates of the Caribbean. If you like stretched him out Wonka yes. style. <laughs> Very specific, but yes. Okay, so poor health. Uh, it continued into adulthood. Uh, because of his health, and also because of probably the Great Depression, uh, Coney struggled to keep a job long-term and frequently found himself uh, without a home, um, except for doorways and alleys around Denver. And Denver, as I'm sure you guys know, gets pretty fucking cold. So this was, like, not a good situation for this guy. Yeah, no. So like, cold, cold. Like, the metal cold. is kind of protected a little bit, but, like, colder than you would want to be if you were living outside. Oh, I mean, yeah, you're from Minnesota, so I guess you have a different scale. But, like, we've all seen The Shining. Well, yeah, and then also, like, my brother lived in Denver, and essentially, oh, yeah. like, how he explained it is, like, they don't get a lot of, like, snow even in the winter because, like, it will come from the west and it'll just get, like, stuck over the mountains. So, like, all the snow will fall in the mountains, and then by the time, like, the storm has petered out by the time it gets to Denver. So, like, Denver is cold in the winter. It's <laughs> I'm just, not going to pretend it's not. It's, it's just, like, it's a different kind of cold. Yeah, it's that kind of, like sharp just clear cold <laughs> mm-hmm. uh not something you really want to be you know without a place to live in for sure um so at some point uh philip peters and coney's had become acquainted at the denver guitar club um and coney's even went over to the peters homes a few times for meal meals i really fucked up that sentence uh he even went over to the peters home a few times for meals one evening, Coney's went over to the Peters' house hoping to be able to ask them for some money or maybe something to eat. Uh, he was going through a particularly rough time. These were nice people. They were Jesus. such sweet people. So, yeah, no one was home because this was when Helen was in the hospital and her husband was visiting her. So Coney's decided to break into the house and steal food, which worked out pretty well for him. Um, I also remember reading somewhere that the Peters didn't lock their back door. And, like, I'm not victim-blaming, but always... Lock your back this door. This is why you lock your doors. It was the 1940s. They were an older couple. I assume it was, like, a nice neighborhood. Like, we didn't know. We didn't know. Like, y'all remember at the beginning of that terrible Annabelle movie where they just didn't lock their doors, and she did, and her husband was like, well, why are you doing that? And she's like, fucking Colts out. <laughs> Our neighbors were brutally murdered in their home. I, I never saw that movie, but of course that's how it starts. You know, I think Annabelle Wallace did a good job. Uh, it's not the, the best Conjuring Universe movie. Coney got bold and decided to break in again a few days later. But unfortunately, this time, Philip Peters was home. And Coney's insisted that beating Philip Peters to death had been because he panicked and, like, just went with it. Um, which, you know, I don't find unbelievable. Yeah, honestly, like, I kind of, I feel sorry for this guy. Yeah, I mean, you should never kill anyone. No. But, like, there's a lot in his background that explains where he ended up yeah, and how this happened. I think the really unfortunate part is that, like, if he had just been, like, explained to uh, Philip Peters what was going on, um, mm-hmm. he would have helped. Yeah. So after he had killed Peters, uh, Coney's panicked and hid in the attic, which he actually found was pretty comfortable. Uh, so he decided to stay there for the winter because it was October and uh, it was about to get real rough. Not a terribly unlogical, like decision yeah i mean this isn't like the previous stories where it was like i'm gonna go live in my ex-wife's heating unit (laughs) or i'm just gonna go hang out in this closet because i'm high on meth 
Yeah, I, I don't know if meth was specifically a, a cause of that one, but I feel like it probably was. From context clues, maybe. <laughs> Usually meth. Um, anyway, after discovering him, the Denver police sent their littlest officer up into the <laughs> attic. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's the 1940s. You are in the most like macho profession that you can probably find. Well, not the most macho profession, but what people presume is a macho profession. And this guy comes out of a crawl space, and now someone from the department has to go up. And so everyone compares, and you have to decide who the smallest officer is, it's and then it's you. Just a rookie, like, oh, geez, guys, I don't know <laughs> if I should really be going up there. Just imagine the self-esteem hit that you <laughs> Like, certainly I'm not, oh, oh, it, it, it's me. So not only are you, like... Your masculinity has taken a hit, but now you actually got to crawl up into this cross <laughs> So they sent this tiny man up into the attic where Coney's had made himself his little pervert nest. Um, <laughs> he had collected his waste and not bathed during his attic vacation, and the smell ended up making the officer sick. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the teensy officer, Fred Zarno, said of the attic, <laughs> quote, a man would have to be a spider to stand it, to stand it long up there. The newspapers <gasps> heard the this. The story. Yes, the newspapers heard this and ran with it, and Theodore Coney's was dubbed the Denver Spider-Man. Uh, and there you have it. Allegedly. I don't know if that's actually how he got the name, the Spider-Man of Denver, but... That tracks, though. That's usually what happens. Man, to be an old-timey journalist. You don't have any rules. All the freedom you would have. Ad sales are going bonkers, because there's nothing else to advertise on. Ugh. Uh, so Conies was charged and convicted of murder by a jury and sentenced to life in prison in October of 1942, about a year after uh, the murder of, of um, Philip Peters. And also, it seems that our judiciary system ran with some variety of speed back then, because, like, he was captured in, what did I say, like, June, July, and it was he in was jail by, by October. That's pretty speedy. Uh, so he was sent to the state pen and remained there until his death on May 16th, 1967, at the age of 84. Wow. And uh, there you have it. An excellent case for living in an apartment where the only people making weird noises and smells are the couple next door who have loud sex promptly at 8 p.m. every Wednesday and the people who apparently douse their wet dog in cologne and let it run down the hall. These are all just your fun imagination, I'm assuming. Yes, uh, these, these have no basis in reality. I definitely haven't had to put a pillow over my head to block out the sound of those assholes. <laughs> well, we made that one fun. Fun. Fun's an interesting choice of word. I'm just going to go ahead and say that the the odds of um, someone living in your walls without you noticing are slim, but never none. <laughs> I will say that is kind of the nice thing about um, I feel like living in apartments actually takes a lot of the anxiety out of living alone. Because, like, if there is a weird sound, there's so many things you can blame it on. Oh, yeah. Um, like, oh, it's the people above me. It's the people to the left. It's the people to the right. Yeah, living in an apartment and also living in a city. Because the other night, like, I got woken up at, like, 2.30 in the morning by, like, a really loud banging sound. And it was just someone, like, hitting a dumpster. Yeah, and it's usually just someone doing something stupid. <laughs> um, and I personally always lock my front door. Because I have had people try to open my apartment door thinking it was theirs. I remember I told you the day I got back from uh, Germany, 
I was like unpacking or something and like I like picked up something that needed to go into another room and I like walked into the kitchen and all of a sudden like I see my door opening. Oh god. Unlocking and opening. Oh god. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, hey, hey, hey. And the door opens and it's Liesel and she is like also scared out of her mind because she just opened the door to what she thought was an empty apartment. <laughs> she didn't realize that I was supposed to get back that day, so she had come to check on June. <laughs> And we both just kind of like stood in my like entryway for a minute, just like trying to get our heartbeats back. <laughs> the poor woman. It was not fun, but it's funny. <laughs> um, back when I lived in my old apartment, um, and I did live alone, it was I don't know, like eleven at night or something, and my sleepless ADHD ass was in the kitchen, like working on perfume samples and stuff. <laughs> So I'm like in a zone and then all of a sudden I hear my door handle jiggling and like I do lock my door um, and like I heard like someone putting a key in the lock and like it went on for a little. I'm like, my door is locked. It's fine. Um, so I just stood there. I'm like texting Travis. I'm like, what the fuck do I do? And it's like, tell them to stop. <laughs> so after this has been going on for like five minutes, I like I pick up a knife, which ended up being a paring knife because I was just grabbing a random one from the knife block. <laughs> And, like, walking up to the door and, like, saying into the crack, like, if you don't stop, I am calling the cops. And then I just hear someone mumble and it stops. And I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. <laughs> no. Uh, but then I got home from work the next day and there was just a box of donuts sitting in front of my <laughs> door with a note that says, I'm sorry, I was drunk and I thought this was my apartment. <laughs> I love that story. Because, like, I'm just also amazed that they remembered what door it was. Well, in... Pretty much every apartment building I've ever lived in, all of the doors look exactly the same. Like, I've gotten off on the wrong floor of this building. <laughs> um, anyway, so those are our worst nightmares. Um, mm -hmm. That's what we're going to leave you with before we go on a, a little hiatus. Um, we'll be back for Christmas or the, the holiday season. Don't worry. Um, yes. I'm still trying to top the Christmas carol, like the, the radio play Christmas carol, not the episode we did about Christmas carols. <laughs> It will never happen. Don't try. I peaked too early. Yes. I like to did. think that maybe there's a family out there whose new Christmas tradition is gathering around the old iPod and <laughs> listening to us because they have an iPod. That's a nice, that's a nice little thought. I w I'm going to adopt that. That's it's like an iPod shuffle in my head. Um, <laughs> you know, like they did in the olden days. Are they all sharing the same pair of headphones? <laughs> they have a 10-way splitter. Nana's got, like, the big vintage cans on, because her hearing's <laughs> going. Uh, no, we'll be back for Christmas, and then we'll be back after the beginning of the year, um, after I have a new last name and have a whole list of shit to deal with for that. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, so if you have had someone live in your walls, or if you were a Russian cosmonaut who made it back to Earth, um... Tell us on, on Twitter and Instagram and Afternoonified. You can also email us because I feel like that second one has a much longer explanation than you can fit in a tweet. Uh, you can Probably. email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, there's also getafternoonified.com where you can look at merch. Um, I might eventually make that bucket hat and we'll see. That's more of a summer accessory. It really is. Um, yeah, By next summer, those won't be trendy anymore. Though. Oh, God. The speed at which trend... You know what? That's no, I'm just going to make me sound 30. Um, <laughs> I'm not even 30 anymore. <laughs> Remember to rate, subscribe, review, and we'll see you guys for the holidays. Um, 
have a have a happy Halloween, I guess. Oh, enjoy spooky season. All right, guys. Goodbye. Bye. We love you. Hey, butthead. I'm almost done recording. I just have to traumatize Sarah a little bit more. <laughs> Thanks. I heard that. I was talking into a microphone. I, I, I would hope so. <laughs> For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.